Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Help me welcome our internet family if you would. God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. How's everybody? Good, good. Anybody better than when you first got here? All right, good. If you're worse, that's your fault. All right. Well, we're going to dive right into the word tonight. I had the weekend off. I don't know if you noticed, but I had the weekend off and it was good to just kind of turn my brain off a little bit and uh, had most of my kids home too. So it just worked out really, really well and kind of refreshing like that. So, uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be back in the saddle. And then uh, this weekend we're continuing on our, our teaching all in the family and uh, just some super important things. So you want to be here. We're going to be talking about family maintenance and it, anything, everything actually needs maintenance. We're going to find what does that take. And uh, so be a powerful time. Make sure you're here for, for Sunday. Well, you ready to get into the word? Amen. All right. I want to, I want to uh, teach tonight something called New Testament instruction. And it sounds kind of formal, but this is going to land right uh, where you're at tonight. The New Testament is loaded with practical and spiritual instruction that shows us really how to live. It is written to believers, and it gives us a unique perspective and insight and wisdom and direction and instruction from God on, on just how to live this life. Now, just to remind you real quick, the, the New Testament is 27 books that make up that, that testament, that half of the, uh, of the Bible. And... Um, You've got the, the four Gospels, and then you've got the Book of Acts, and then you've got what are called the Epistles, and uh, then you have the, the Book of Revelation at the end. And I'm going to draw tonight out of uh, a place in the Epistle. The, the Epistles are letters. Everybody say letters. They're letters that were written mostly by the Apostle Paul, and they were written to the, to the churches, and churches were new in that day. This was, this was a new thing, and so this was... The instruction coming for those new believers uh, to learn how to relate to one another, how to um, relate to the world and the culture that was around them. So um, pretty interesting stuff. Um, it's to exhort us, which is, really means to encourage us, and it's also to, con- to instruct us, and I'll go ahead and give the word here, it's to command us. There's some imp- imperatives in God's word concerning this. Actually, in the New Testament, there are right at 800 commands, 800 commands. And you go, I'll never learn them. You know, if you're like me, once I hear that, that number, it's like, I can't do that. I can't do it. Give me like two, you know, and I'll work on those. Well, they're all so interrelated though. They all connect with a theme and we're, we're going to read a bunch of them here in just a moment. And you'll see how, how uh, it's not so Uh, this long, tedious list. You're going to see how it all kind of flows together. It's important, though, that we understand about God's commandments. They're not like man's commandments. Here's a little phrase I picked up a number of years ago. I want to make sure we have this. God's commandments show us what gives us life and what takes it away. Okay, read that with me. God's commandments show us what gives us life and what takes life away. So if God says do something, it's because it's good for you. If God says don't do something, it's because he's, kind of, he's trying to rob you of your fun. 
No, it's because it's bad for you, okay? And so what, what he wants us to do gives us life. What he does not want us to do are the things that take life away. That's why he's not a killjoy. That's why our culture has a hard time with the commandments of God is because they're confused on that. And in the end, everyone will see it, though, that God's commandments are for our good. Can I get a better amen here? All right. Um, Imagine, if you will, that the New Testament is a forest, and it's just lush, uh, trees, just green, just rich, tall, healthy trees. And then in that forest, there's a section of of treetops that are exceptionally high. And that would be the book of Romans. And if you're going to, and and I'm a big advocate of reading through um, the Bible, reading through the Gospels. I do that regularly. I'm reading portions of the Gospel all the time um, because we're following Jesus around. And then the book of Romans, though, is just out of all the letters, it, it is just the, it's the treetops. This, this is the high, really, really good stuff here. Written by the Apostle Paul, A.D. 57. Okay, so Jesus uh, was crucified and rose again roughly 33 A.D. And then, so this is just a number of years, a few years after that. And this is written, Paul was in Corinth, and he's writing to the church at Rome, okay? So he's writing to these believers that are in the center of it all, and he's giving them some instruction. Now, the epistles were written uh, to be read aloud. They were written to be read in groups. Um, they, did, we, they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles, okay? They didn't have Bible and bookstores where you could, you know, go get one with your name on them. You know, they were written in certain different forms, uh, and so they were super valuable and super rare. And um, they were, so you couldn't, everybody just couldn't have one. So they would be read aloud in that way. And then over time, more and more copies were made. And then also they were circulated around as, as churches were, were birthed and so forth. So the theme of Romans is very important to us. And it is the theme of the New Testament as well. But let's get this real quick. It's righteousness by grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Okay? Read that with me. Righteousness by grace alone, not works, by grace, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So what is this righteousness thing? It's to be right with God. It's to be right with God. And the problem was our sin separated us from God, and we weren't right with God. And our best day, our best performance, our best week averaged out, we still come short. Okay? God is a holy and perfect God. And for us to live in such a way that we're totally doing everything right, none of us have been able to do that. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's why he was the one fit to be the sacrifice for us who could not make it. Okay? So this righteousness with God, for you and I to be right with God, that's all we need. That comes by his grace alone. It's a gift that he gives to us. Through faith alone, we believe it and receive it. And that faith is in Jesus alone that he did this all for us. Amen? Now, let's go ahead and and, uh, let me me say this too, and then we're going to read some out of Romans. This righteousness, being right with God, has an outworking to it. Okay, it's, 
it's a condition, it's a position, that, that it's a possession that we have. That If you're a believer, any believers? Here to, oh, God, I was hoping you would show up. Um, if, if you're a child of God, if you have received God's grace through faith in Jesus, you're right with God. I'm right with God. Does that mean I got it all right today? Did anybody here get it all right today? No, no. And if you dare raise your hand, I'm going to call you out because you didn't. You didn't. Did you try today? Okay, and that's the heart that he wants. He said in one place in Scripture, oh, that they had such a heart in them to always do, and I'm paraphrasing, things my way. He said, then it'll go well with them. You got to have the heart. Everybody say the heart. So my heart is I want to please God. My heart is I want to do this right. It is not a matter that I just surrender and say, I'm not going to get it right anyway. So, <laughs> no, you, you can't do that. It is a matter of, I, God, I want to please you. I want to do this in the right way. I want to do what you said to do because what you said to do gives me life. And what you said uh, to not do, it takes life away. And Jesus came to bring us life. Amen? So, this righteousness, this, this right relationship with God, and this is so important in this day, it has an outworking to it. There, it, it is personal, but it is also interpersonal. And so it actually should show up in our life. And, and what the commands of the New Testament do is they help to kind of guide us um, in, these, in how we interact, interpersonal relationships, personal how we interact with our culture around us as well. So we're going to read a passage here out of Romans chapter 12. And go there if you would. And here's going to be a bunch of commands, but they're all going to kind of connect together. And then we're going to come back and zero in on just uh, something right in the middle of this. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Just kind of take this in. This is instruction for us as believers. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. It's helping other folks. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible. Here's a big verse. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Just be able to say you did your part. Okay. uh, Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. Let it go. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap 
coals of fire on his head. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's go back to verse 12 here. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Will you read that with me? Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now let's look at it also in the uh, New Living Translation. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Read that one with me. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Can we get a good amen on all of that? All right. We have right here, and if we could leave this verse up for a little while. We have right here three commands that connect together. This is a combo, okay? And in the middle of this, we find, well, first of all, let me give you our three topics here. Hope, trouble, or tribulation, and prayer, okay? How many of you have ever had any trouble? I'm waiting on you is what I'm, is what I'm doing, okay? Because you want to relate, you want to be able to relate to this because there's some good takeaway for us here here tonight. Each of these helps one another. Hope, prayer, they help with trouble. Um, And so we want to be able to connect all of this here uh, together tonight. Hope, tribulation, and prayer. Again, in the middle is trouble or tribulation. Let me give you, the New Testament is written in Greek. Let me give you what this word is translated out to mean. It means pressure. Anybody felt pressure? Affliction, burdened. Do you ever feel burdened? You feel kind of just the weight of something. Persecuted, troubled, um, and we could go on and on. You get the idea. That's what this is talking about. Everyone has this. Everyone has trouble. Everyone has pressure. Everyone has concerns. Everyone does. Um, Can I see your hands again? Everybody. It's all of us. We have it. We have it in, in different degrees, different intensities, different varieties. You know, your problems and troubles may not be the same as the person sitting next to you, but we all have. And probably if we average our stories, we've all had kind of the same kind of things happen. Has anybody ever had money problems, relationship problems, health problems? You know, all kinds of things. We've all had these general categories that come. We have different seasons. We have trouble and and tribulation for different seasons. We also have trouble for different reasons. Sometimes we have trouble that we caused. Could we just be honest tonight? Has anybody here caused your own trouble? Isn't God good to us? Amen. How many of you would not raise your hand no matter what I asked you? <laughs> Got one of you. All right. So everybody has this. Look at this in John 16, verse 33 in the Amplified Bible. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, in this life, you have, watch this, tribulation and trials and distress and frustration not or but and we have tribulation go back to it please tribulation and trials and distress and frustration now now go ahead but 
be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I, Jesus, have overcome this life, this world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. But but the point I want to make right now is, but Jesus said there would be trouble. So don't be surprised that there's trouble, there's pressure, there's frustration, distress, and, and all of those things. So Paul writes to us here in this verse in Romans 12, 12, he says to be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. He tells us that when we're having trouble, we're to be patient. Now, the historical context of this, what was going on when Paul wrote this? He wrote it to the church at Corinth, or from Corinth, he wrote it to the church in Rome. Rome had an emperor at the time named Claudius, and Claudius was not a sweet guy, okay? Claudius got coal in his stocking. You know what I'm saying? So Claudius hated the Jews. Claudius hated the Christians. He had horrible attitude toward them at this point. Um, this is, you know, about 50 uh, A.D. or so, 50 to 60 A.D., um, right in that time. And, and remember, Jesus came crucified, resurrected, and then church is born. By now, there's upwards of 30,000 Christians in Rome. So just in this short 20-year gap here, there's about 20 to 30,000 Christians. A good number of them are Jewish Christians. They converted from Judaism to become believers, to be Christians. A lot of Christian meetings were held in synagogues and so forth as well. So you've got all this going on, and, and Claudius comes up with this edict, and he, he chases all Jews out of Rome. They have to leave. You read about it in the book of Acts. It's mentioned also in the book of Hebrews. And so they are to leave, and there's such pressure put on Christians. All of this is going on, heavy persecution, real tribulation coming to them, and Paul has the nerve, the audacity to say that no matter what's going on, be patient. Be patient. Patient does not just mean put up with something. Okay? Bear with me here. Uh, it doesn't mean just put up with something. When, when we were little, we had a chihuahua. Do you know what a chihuahua is? No joke, we had a chihuahua, a boxer, and a St. Bernard. Every day I was hoping the food chain would happen. But anyway... We got a chihuahua because my mom had asthma, and she was a teacher's aide at an elementary school, and she always said, well, they say. We never did find out who they is <laughs> for everything. Well, they say, they say, and she had a remedy or a suggestion for everything from they say. I don't know who they is, are, were, I don't know. And she had asthma, and so they said, you need to either move to Arizona or get a chihuahua. I think my mom manipulated. We got a chihuahua. Okay, so my sister's coming along, and my sister would play with a chihuahua all the time. And so she would dress it up. She'd put it in a basket on her little tricycle, and that dog would just sit there and just, just shake. And people would say, that dog is so patient. No, that dog was not patient. That dog lost its mind. 
That dog ended up with demons, I'm pretty sure. Because as soon as my sister would go down for a nap and that dog was free, we had to, remember the TVs that would be on legs? Do y'all know that? Not stuck on the wall, but it was like wood. The dog would live under there and then live where the vent was on the refrigerator where hot air would blow out. It would lay there or under the TV. So I'm pretty sure the dog also was radioactive. <laughs> so as long as it was with my sister and people would comment how patient the dog was, the dog was not patient. The dog was putting up with it. Okay, there's a difference. And the dog would just sit there and do whatever my sister wanted, you know, and get dressed up and played and whatever. But as soon as my sister was done, that dog was nasty and would bite at bigger dogs in the house and bite at us and just snap and snarl and just all kinds of things. That is not patient. Okay? So Paul is saying be patient in tribulation. He is not saying just put up with stuff. Are you hearing me? This is huge. He's not just put up with stuff. Let me give you the, the Greek New Testament meaning for patient. It means to stay under, to remain to persevere, to stay constant. Now get that, to stay constant. It means this, that you're going through something, you're facing something, you are putting up with it, but this is the thing, you remain constant. You don't change. It doesn't put you off. It doesn't throw you off. You are somehow able to remain constant. You're able to bear the heat You're able to not be damaged by it. There's something that helps you that no matter what is going on around you, I hope you're getting this, no matter what is going on around you, you're able to be preserved in the middle of tribulation, pressure, problems, trouble because of something. So this is not something you just will to do. This is not something you just decide to do. This is the product of something and then you respond by kicking in and allowing this to to happen in your life. So to be able to be patient, to be able to be constant, everybody say constant, to be able to be constant under pressure, it takes this combination of hope and prayer to deal with the tribulation, okay? So I want to break this down real quick for us here, and let's go ahead and look at this. The scripture said rejoice in hope. Everybody say rejoice in hope. Let me tell you where we're going. Rejoice in hope, be patient in trouble or tribulation, and be constant in prayer, okay? Now, what we want out of this is to be able to be patient in tribulation. And again, patience, not just putting up with it. Because you know what? We've all said it. I've had it. I'm not putting up with this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so what you have to be, and God will help you to do this, but you must engage this combination here, and it starts with this, rejoice in hope. Everybody say rejoice in hope. Okay, everybody just say hope. Okay, hope, get this now, is unique to Christianity. The world talks about hope, but it is such a moving target of what they put their hope in. They want hope. Everybody wants hope. And whole political campaigns are run on hope. Uh, Nonprofits and all kinds of helpful organizations build on hope. But hope is unique to Christianity. Let me ask you a question. What happens 
when the people who are supposed to be the hope of the world lose hope? What happens when the people who are supposed to be the hope of the world lose hope? Ready? They lose hope for the world. See, when hope vanishes, joy evaporates. And when joy evaporates, you don't have strength. And when you don't have strength, you don't have clarity and you can't follow through. And you essentially become non-essential, of no impact, inert. And so what we must have is hope. Say hope. We've got to have hope. Now rejoice here throws us off sometimes because I've been in church a lot of years in my life. You have too, a lot of you. And sometimes there's some people that, that think rejoice means squeal or be hyper. Can I tell you what it means? Glad, calmly, happy, calmly, well off. So I can do that. Now, there are times where we rejoice. Now, the world forces rejoicing. Uh, Let's make a deal. Come on down. Now, how many of you know there's somebody threatening them? And if you don't super-duper rejoice, we're not putting the camera on you, and you will not win the showcase showdown. Okay? So you got to be hyper. you got to be hyper. We don't have to be hyper. Now, there's some things that thrill us. And there are times that we rejoice and you want to jump, you want to run, you want to shout, you want to sing, you want to cry, you want to laugh. I've had all of those things happen, events in my life. And can I tell you something? It doesn't always have to happen in church. It can happen all over the place where you just watch God come through for you. Amen. But we're to rejoice in hope. So what does this mean? Let's look at this a little further. This is not rejoicing for our circumstances. How many of you have some circumstances you're not happy about? I'm going to wait on you again for this one. Not not happy about that. Okay. This is what you can say though. That does not bless me, but I'm blessed. Recently, and I've said this over the years, but I had a, a lady who's part of our church and her mother recently passed. And she's been very sad over that. I understand that. I've had my mom pass. I've had my my dad pass. I've had loved ones pass. I've had close friends pass. I understand that. And and I say, how are you? And she goes, I'm just sad. And I said, you're not just sad. And she goes, no, I'm sad. I said, what are you sad about? My mom passed. I said, I know. I said, but that's not all of you. You're sad about that, but you're not sad completely. You know? You probably smiled when you ate breakfast. You know, you have other things. And we have to be careful that we don't paint with such a broad brush over our life. I'm just sad. I'm just a loser. No, you're not. You may have lost something there, but you're not a loser. Are you with me? I'm sad about this, but I'm not sad. Don't give in to that. Don't, you know, you need to refuse some of those things. But we rejoice in hope. This does not mean that we're rejoicing, that we're glad about our circumstances. It means we're rejoicing because we have what? Because we have hope. Now, hope is a confident expectation. It's I'm expecting to see something. And it's based on our hope, because hope is unique to Christianity. Our hope is based on the gospel. Now, let me give you the gospel real quick. God so loved us and we were such a mess that he sent his only begotten son 
who is sinless and perfect to come and live a perfect life in front of us and then be the sacrificial lamb for us, the only one that could pay the price for our sins. He went to a cross. He took the full weight of our sin and brokenness. He carried that on himself on the cross. He put it away forever. The scripture says that he took out of the way the handwriting of ordinances or charges against us. And he nailed it to the cross. He took it out of the way. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he put away our brokenness. And he put away our sin. And he took away our guilt. And he took away our shame. And he came to do that for us. And because of that, I now have, you now have the hope of heaven. The ultimate hope of heaven and restoration of all things being restored. Amen. So that's the basis. That's the basis of our hope. And because of what Jesus did, death and sorrow and brokenness do not have the last word. They do not have the last word. And, and realize this. We live in a crazy world, but we live in a world where Jesus is risen from the dead. And the Bible tells us, and we'll talk about this in about six weeks or so when we're celebrating Easter. That the same power that raised Jesus from from the dead, the power that raised him up, the the scripture says, still exerts itself over believers. Still. So it was just released. It wasn't all used up raising Jesus from the dead. It was released at the resurrection. And now we live, New Testament, we live with the help of the resurrection. There is a power that helps us. How many of you have had any kind of help at all? And you can't explain it, but God has helped you? Come on. Has he not come through for you? Has he not helped you out of things? I don't know what I'm going to do. And next thing you know, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And I don't require an explanation. I'm just thankful for his help. You better still believe that God can do what you can't explain. I was listening to a message just, just recently, and Christine Kane, some of you will know her, and, and people, she said people will say, well, well, God can't do that. That's impossible. And she goes, that's what God can do. God doesn't come to do the possible. He comes to do the impossible. And we think, well, it's, that's impossible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And that's our hope. And what hope does, it brings our future into view, Okay. It helps us to see something different than what we're experiencing. Hope you're getting this. Hope brings the future into view and helps us to see something other than what we're experiencing right now. And when we see it, when we see a different outcome, we rejoice. You're stuck in the mud and you see the tow truck coming. You rejoice. You're hungry and you're in the restaurant. And you see the servers coming out with trays. Come on. You what? You rejoice. And, and hope and faith become, become sight. You're sitting in the last period of school. And you're watching the clock. And it's 10 till 3. And you're like, yes. You're rejoicing because you can almost hear the bell ringing. Are, are you with me? And so in life, we've got to rejoice in hope. Everybody say rejoice in hope. Y'all are listening too good and I'm taking too long. So let's, let's move quickly here. 
rejoice in hope. The next one I'm going to skip now because the order here was rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So rejoice in hope, but I want to skip to the third one. We'll come back to the second one, okay? And here it is. No, no, go go, uh, continuing faithful in prayer. There we go. Continuing faithful in prayer, earnest or constant in prayer, continuing in prayer. Everybody say continuing in prayer. The, the word there has the idea of faithful, faithful in prayer. Faithful, that word is not forceful enough to capture it all. What it really means is to be constant in prayer and to have energy in prayer. This is not old memorized prayers that are heartless and, and religious and stale. This is praying because something depends on me connecting with God. This is praying because you believe God hears you and you believe God answers. It's praying because you believe prayer is power, that, that something is going to happen and change, that God has given us this right and this privilege to be able to connect with him in prayer. And so you're constant in prayer and you and you're, have energy in prayer. Um, look with me, if you will, and back there I'm going to skip down to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42. Acts chapter 2. It says, they devoted themselves, watch this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to what? Prayer. They're devoted to prayer. Look in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devoted to prayer. And the early believers, get get this idea here. Prayer was for them their crisis mechanism. See, you all have crisis mechanisms. Some of you get mad. Some of you clam up. Some of you, if the crisis is big enough, you go back to old crisis mechanisms. And you drink or you fight or you do whatever. You you go back to certain things that don't serve you. They don't help you. You know, certain people raise their voice because they're in crisis or whatever, whatever they would do. And the believers knew to do this. When, when there's crisis, when there's problem, when there's pressure, here's what we do. We pout and we murmur to people around us. No, they knew to pray. They knew to be constant in prayer. They knew to be energetic in prayer and they knew to be devoted to prayer and prayer became their crisis mechanism. So put all that together, patient in tribulation. Go there with me. Patient in tribulation When you rejoice in hope, and when you're constant in prayer, hear this, when you rejoice in hope, that means there's a better ending than what I'm seeing right now. When you will stay in hope, and that causes you to be glad. I said it causes you to be glad, because you can see something different. Hope is in your heart, it's in your head, it's in your mouth, it's in God's word, And when you can see it and feel it and say it, you can start to really see it. Not even with these eyes. You can see it. You can see something different. Now you can be glad because this won't always be this way. This won't always hurt. This won't always be broken. And one day, all of this will be restored. That's the ultimate hope. All of this will be set right. Everything will be put right one day. I have that hope. So we've got that ultimate hope, but I also have hope for things right here. 
I remember being in the hospital all broken up and I had the hope that, and I knew this, this won't always hurt. It hurts like not heaven right now, but it won't always hurt. You know, and through the process of of therapy and everything else with my hand, where there were times I I thought I'm never going to be able to use this hand again. And three surgeries and therapy that makes you cry and all kinds of things going through that. But I kept a hope in front of me. You don't just give up. And because you knew it will be better. Well, guess what? It's better. It's better. And so you can rejoice. I can be glad because I can see something different than what I'm feeling right now. And... Be constant in prayer. Let that be your crisis mechanism. Don't get on the phone or online or I'm going to I'm express myself on social media. Just cut it out. I, that's got to be somewhere in, in Scripture about cut it out with social media. I'm going to find it. I'm... Rejoice in hope. Be constant in prayer. And you will be able to be patient in tribulation, you'll be able to stay the same, not just put up with stuff like a weird little chihuahua. (laughs) But I will be able to keep it together. I'll be able to not be thrown off by this because I have hope. I have a connection with God. I'm happy in the Lord. He is good to me. This will turn out. Everything always works out for me. All things work together good to those who love God are called according to his purposes go back in scripture just go back into Psalms and see what the promises are in the book of Psalms and it's about how God is going to help you and God is going to deliver you and God is going to provide for you you know what that will build hope in you Const- uh, rejoice in hope constant in prayer and you can be patient it went away patient in tribulation amen amen did y'all get anything at all out of this tonight all right Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.